0: Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we help you to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, life coach and certified grief recovery specialist. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 59. This podcast is coming out right before Thanksgiving. And I know the holidays can be tough. Like that puts us right into the middle of the holidays. So be super good to yourself. And remember that if you feel sad, it's okay. And I would also invite you to go back to last year about this time I did a bonus episode on how to how to navigate the holidays with grief. So I'd invite you to go back and listen to that. It came out on November 17th, 2018, right before episode seven. So look for that in your podcast app or go to the website, Build a Life After Loss, and I would invite you to listen to that and let me know what your thoughts are on that. But just know that I'm thinking about you and I just I know that this time of year can be tough and... I also know that you can do it. You can get through it. You know, sometimes the anticipation of it is worse than the actual, and sometimes it's the other way around. We never know. But don't spend too much time worrying about it. It can We can actually make things worse for ourselves just by worrying about what's going to happen. But I understand your concern, and so I am thinking about you and that experience. But this week, we're going to talk about five stages of grief that traditionally... We've heard about the five stages of grief. It's a concept that was started by Dr. Elizabeth Kubler Ross. And originally, it was based on interviews that she did with people who were dying, who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness. She had done these interviews, and in the interviews, she started to recognize some similarities or some common themes in those interviews, and she established these five stages of death and dying, and then many years later, she adapted her work to grief. And the traditional stages of grief that she adapted were denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And you may not experience grief as outlined in those five stages. That is sometimes people's experience, but more than likely you won't, and, and that's okay. In the grief recovery handbook that I refer to fairly frequently, when it comes up to stages of grief, I tend to agree with the authors of the grief recovery handbook, John James and Russell Friedman, and here's what they said about it. They said many people are familiar with the pioneering work of Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who identified five emotional stages that a dying person may go through after being diagnosed with a terminal illness. She identified those stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. One result of Dr. Kubler-Ross's work is that many people now tend to apply the concept of stages to other aspects of human emotion, grief, which follows death, divorce, and other losses, and should not, however, be regarded in terms of stages. The nature and intensity of feelings caused by a loss relate to the individuality and uniqueness of the relationship." For example, they specifically mention anger in the book. And I can tell you that when my mother-in-law passed away last year and my father-in-law died this year, I didn't have any anger. That just wasn't part of my experience at all. I recognized that both of them had been suffering and it was a relief to some extent, although really sad and hard that they that they did die but didn't have really anything to do with anger there was no anger towards their passing and so that's why there's a discussion about how maybe the five stages stages isn't the best way to look at grief because then we think we think in in terms of stages and that i need to move from this stage to the next stage and it's typically not the way it works there are common emotions and some of the emotions that um, are listed in the grief recovery handbook include that maybe you've in, experienced a reduced concentration or a sense of numbness, disrupted sleep patterns, changed eating habits, and a roller coaster of emotional energy. I think that list is much more useful and helpful than maybe to think of it in terms of stages. And bargaining and anger and so on and so forth, because those things may not actually occur in your particular grief. They go on to say that these are that the emotions that we do experience are all normal and natural responses to loss, loss. And and like I said, it doesn't go from stage to stage. A lot of times people think, okay, well, now I'm in the denial stage, and then eventually I'll get to the the next stage of grief. Um, let me look. What was the next stage? <laughs> uh, it slipped my mind. But, you know, and then we think we're gonna go into the next stage and we're gonna stay there until we move into the next stage. And it's more of the roller coaster of emotions, right? They're they're unique the the duration of any phase, if you will, in grief or any experience that we have in grief or grief itself is unique to the individual. We will not, we can't predict, we can't predict for you how long any stage or any phase that we find ourselves in or or any um grief should last. They are not stages of grief it's it's less about the stages and more about like I said, the roller coaster of emotional energy that accompany grief. You may never know from one day to the next if you'll be uphill or downhill or the span of grief roller coaster it's it's very much a wave like and unpredictable one day you could be having a great day the next day could be not so great one minute you could be having a great great you know you can feel good and an hour later you may not feel good i like to think of it in terms of levels of grief that we move back and forth within there's no timeline no specific stages or any type of linear movement through these degrees of grief feelings and the accompanying emotions and reactions. You probably remember what that first level or that initial grief felt like. It was likely overwhelming and all-consuming. And I'm going to call that level five, like it's up at the top. That may have been accompanied by feelings of shock and trauma and devastation. The grief is intense. We can all remember what it feels like at the beginning. It's very difficult to think about anything else, much less concentrate, it has a distinct emotional and even a physical impact. Everything else goes away. The only thing that consumes us is our grief. That was my experience with several different losses, but it was different. It's different with like, for example, a divorce. When a death occurs suddenly, we have this sudden shocking experience. But say like in a divorce, sometimes it's different because a lot of times there's a lot of grief that leads up to the actual divorce and the actual separation of the marriage. So for example, in my experience, like you have a traumatic event or a shock or something that happens that undermines your trust. That's what happened with me. And those were devastating. They were traumatizing. And then over time, those events might continue. There, There's a lot of turmoil. And then eventually, you move to separation. And then eventually the marriage ended in divorce. And this was my first divorce many years ago. I'm happily married right now to my husband, Ron. I always want to clarify that because anytime I start talking about my divorce, people are like, I thought you were married and I am, but I did go through a divorce uh, many years ago. And that was a different experience than say a death experience for me, because like, when my when my kids passed away it was very very sudden there was no anticipating that anything was going to happen they weren't sick there wasn't a long term illness or anything it was just a sudden death with my divorce it was a long term drawn out over many months over you know a couple of years until it culminated into a divorce and the experience with divorces is unusual too because everything leading up to that, there's always, you kind of always have this hope that things are going to get better, that you're going to be able to repair the relationship, that things will get better and that you'll stay together. But once, once you determine, once you're determined to divorce, then the hope of a possible re- uh, possible reconciliation is over. And that loss of hope of anything being repaired changes things again. Sometimes it's a long, drawn out process in a different way, in a different way than just, than betrayal or something else. Sometimes it's when we lose somebody who's been ill for a number of years. We've had that anticipatory grief. We know that eventually that this illness is going to end in death. We've had the grief of the illness and the experience of the loss of the death. It's a longer, different type of experience. So everybody, like if nothing else, just understand that everybody's experience is unique and individual. It has a lot to do with the intensity of their relationship and it has a lot to do with the length of the relationship but it also has to do with how things came to be. you know was it like what was your experience like a divorce or a separation from somebody who's close to you that was that became adversarial? Was your relationship a, a sudden death? Was it a lingering death? But the first level of grief that, that, you know, level five grief is just all consuming. We're kind of buried in grief. It's like all encompassing. And the things to be aware of when in the beginning with our grief is illness and accidents and really an inability to engage in life. We do naturally start to almost immediately, almost immediately in very, very gradually, sometimes it's not, you can't even notice it, but we start to assimilate our experience, our loss. We start to adapt to our experience. It's overwhelming and consuming because our brain is just trying to make sense of it. And then we start to get over the initial shock and the grief becomes lessons lessened, not in a major way, but in small ways. And that's when it gets kind of lowered to a level four. It's no longer completely consuming and overwhelming, but it's still so prevalent. It's top of mind. Time does heal in some ways in our body, our mind starts to adapt to it. But then we have common emotions that you may experience, including frustration and confusion and that deep sorrow. And some of the things that we may find ourselves doing is hiding. We just don't want to be around people. We change our sleeping patterns, we change our eating patterns, and we're still in mourning. And we do still have to be careful about illness and accidents. The reasons that we have accidents during grief is because of our lack of concentration, because of our confusion. And that lack of concentration makes it easy to have accidents. Those can be car accidents, or it can be just tripping on a step or something. Illnesses happen too, because physically, our thoughts and our feelings affect us physically. It creates the chemical, a chemical reaction that can cause illness. If you think about being scared in a movie, you immediately feel that adrenaline rush. We're experiencing the chemistry of our thoughts and our feelings. And those types of deep sorrow feelings can cause illness because of the chemistry that it creates in our body. We also might isolate. It's very exhausting. It's a lot of work. Grief is a lot of work. So- sorrow is a lot of work. So we do become very tired. Then we come to a level when, when we're, we've worked through some of that initial shock and the, the deep, deep sorrow. Then we, then we go into a level three of functional grief. Agree again, our grief is lessening, but we still feel it predominantly. We can start to function. We can go back to work. We can focus a little more. We can take care of our kids. If we have kids at home, we can take care of our house. We can take care of our daily needs, but at the same time is still in a very prominent place in our life. Our grief is very prominent and we can start to feel depression, maybe not clinical depression, but we start to feel depressed. It, so it's not a clinical depression that we think of with a chemical imbalance, but depressed just because, again, our thoughts and our mind, we're trying to adapt to this huge change in our life, this tremendous loss that we've experienced. Anger can be a common emotion that we experience at that time. Sometimes we don't, but it's not uncommon for people to talk about having these angry outbursts, and they don't want to be angry. None of us want to be angry, but that's the way we feel And in this, in, in this intense loneliness that we feel as well. The anger is a secondary emotion that we experience. I think for me, the intense loneliness came from not knowing if there was anybody that really could understand how I feel, just really feeling lonely. In my experience, we do have to be really concerned about developing long-term depression. If we don't get the help that we need, and when I say help that we need, that's not necessarily medicine or medical help, but just the support that we need. It can turn into a long-term depression. If we continue to have angry outbursts, we can eventually damage relationships with the people that we're closest to. And also not getting enough support, that's definitely a concern. We want to make sure that I've said quite a bit, but about it, but our support needs to be equal to our challenge. Your support needs to be equal to your challenge. So be sure that you're getting the support that you need. Eventually our grief becomes less prominent and it can be very, become very internal. And that's what I call hidden grief. Level two is hidden grief because we're not wearing it on the outside anymore. If you're like me, I kind of felt like people were tired of me talking about it or they didn't want to hear about it. They've moved on and so therefore I needed to move on. And of course, that's not the case, but that's kind of how it feels. We, we have this loss of interest. Sometimes we can have a lingering anger and we lose interest in socializing as well as a loss of interest in the things that used to be of interest to us. We might feel shame or fear Also, the concern is that we might experience prolonged anger. If we don't get the support that we need, if we don't seek the help, if we don't seek solutions, we could experience prolonged anger and or we could experience prolonged depression. We can go into a victim, very, very easy to go into a victim mentality. We can experience hopelessness. That's super hard. If we get to a place where we just feel like there's just no hope, this is where we can get stuck forever if we're not really careful because we've hidden it. And nobody really knows how to help us. But if we get the support we need, and I have to say, I am so grateful for the people, the activities, the things that I sought out that helped me. I'm so grateful for those things because eventually we can resolve our grief. And I always want to be really careful to specify that resolving grief does not mean that we let go of the person because we lost a person that's close to us, lost a mother, lost a father, lost a child. And sometimes we hang on to the pain of grief because that becomes our connection to the person. But that's not really, pain is not really the connection we want to have with that person. What we want to create is a better connection to let go of the pain and hold on to the happy memories See, resolving our grief, like I said, does not mean that we're letting go of that person. Our grief and the person are actually separ- separated. They're actually separate. They're connected. They're connected. And one of the reasons that we we make this connection is because that the pain is from the loss of that person. But eventually, we can let go of the pain of the grief, and we can keep our good memories. And that is what Resolve grief is all about. Our common emotions when we resolve our grief is that we experience happiness, we experience purpose. We still experience the occasional sadness that comes with anniversaries or certain things, but we enjoy at this point, we enjoy hobbies. We might even pick up new hobbies or new interests. Or we might rediscover hobbies and interests that we had before. Sometimes they change. Sometimes they don't. We start to take better care of ourselves. We're comfortable. We're comfortable talking, talking about our loss. We're we're comfortable talking about what happened. We have an interest in socializing again. We build relationships and we live in a full life with a full range of emotions Like I've said before, you know, when we, when we tap down the, 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 what we call the negative emotions, the uncomfortable emotions, we also squash the, what we term as positive emotions. We can't, we can't reduce one without reducing the other. So when we resolve our grief, we are able to, we are able to feel the positive emotions as well as the negative emotions we are comfortable with the whole range of emotions. But unresolved grief, when we don't go through the process of feeling our emotions, of discovering what's causing pain and so forth, we can it can stand in the way of our happiness. And while we don't want to rush grief, we do want to look for solutions. We do want to continue to move. Emotions are energy. Emotions our energy in motion. So it's super important that we continue to move our emotions that we can eventually get to a place of resolve. Grief, when we move our emotions by working with people who are trained to work with grievers, by talking to friends, by moving our body, exercise, in fact, can be a great way to continue to move our grief. So while the five stages of grief that particular model may not be helpful to you. It is helpful to recognize that there are certain emotions, certain things, behaviors that we may experience in our grief so that we can move to resolving our grief. We want to think about grief as being a tunnel, not a cave. When we think of a tunnel where we're continuing moving down a pathway I think in a recent email that I sent, I talked about this idea that, you know, sometimes that that tunnel looks like we're just sitting on the ground in the darkness. So it can feel like a cave, but if we visualize it as a tunnel, we, we might be sitting with that emotion for a moment, but we don't have to stay there. We think about it as a tunnel. We realize that we're going to continue to move. We're going to continue to move forward until we resolve our grief. And that is the message of this podcast today, that understanding that it's not stages, but there are different levels of grief. There are different experiences that we travel through in grief and the intensity and the duration of our relationship, our unique relationship with the person or the things that we lost really is super important to remember that those things will determine the time that it takes to resolve. A really huge piece of resolving our grief is that continuous movement, the continuous search. Like the Henry Ford quote, and I'm going to botch it, but you know, basically it is if we believe we can, we can, and if we believe we can can't, we won't. And that's, that's the truth with grief and healing as well. If we believe we can heal, we'll continue to move. We'll continue to search and we will find answers. We will find solutions and we'll continue to search for that next answer for that next solution. This is the end of the month. We're celebrating one year of build a life after loss podcast. And I can tell you being in this podcast space, I spoke at a podcast conference, in fact, this summer. There's a lot of people that start podcasts and don't get past the first seven episodes. That's the average quitting time. So I'm pretty excited to share with you that we've been here for a year. And I think a lot of times people start a podcast that they don't recognize the commitment level, what it takes to do it week in and week out. And I'm glad that I spent some time before I started really researching it and figuring it out before I started so I can just continue to be here every week. I'm super excited to be here and I'm really, really grateful for you. I'm really grateful for you for being here with me and I would love to hear from you. Email me at julie at dot com and tell me a little bit about your experience and what's happening for you. Let me know if there's a specific topic that you'd like for me to speak on or to research for you or to find a guest that can speak on that. I would really love to hear from you. Again, it's Julie at buildalifeafterloss.com. And and will you join us in celebrating by leaving a review and sharing the podcast with your family and friends? You never know who you might help. Remember, I believe in you. Love you. Bye. Bye.